together now. Uh, if you've got a Bible from up the back, uh, first reading, we're going to do two short readings today. First reading is on page 907. It'd be great if you could grab one of those. Uh, and then the second reading is on page 1082. So we're starting at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honourable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. And over to 1 John, again starting at chapter 1. And again, verses 1 to 4. 1 John 1 to 4 on page 1082. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Good morning, everyone. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name's Ed, Senior Minister here at OEC. And uh, as Warwick mentioned before, we're starting a new series with a slight break next week to finish the other series, um, The Joy of Planning. Uh, but we, are, we get to explore Luke's Gospel. And so please, um, if you have a Bible, uh, have it open in front of you. We're just going to work through um, those four verses this morning, as we do each week at OEC. Uh, we read the Bible and we, we read what God says and seek to understand it. And so let's come before him and ask him for his help. Father of God, we thank you that you love us. And one of the ways you love us is that you speak to us. So we pray that you'd help us to listen this morning. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the introduction prepares us, prepares the audience for what will follow. Here are some great introductions. In a galaxy far, far away. One April day on a morning just like every other morning, I had a sudden realisation. I was in danger of wasting my life. That's Gretchen Rubin's book, The Happiness Project. The hills are alive with sound of music, with songs they have sung for a thousand years. It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13 from the book 1984. In 30 seconds, an introduction prepares the audience to come into an unresolved adventure, whether imaginary, science or history. In the first 30 seconds, the author states their purpose and they invite us to explore a question or resolve a mystery with them. Preparing this week, I heard my old English teacher from many years ago saying to me again, pay careful attention to the introduction. Well, Luke 1, 1 to 4 is Luke's introduction to his gospel. 
so helpfully done in the kids' talk. And what you've got in front of you, those two sentences in English and in the original Greek, it's just one sentence. Prepare us for what is to follow. Luke invites us to take a careful and comprehensive look at the historical Jesus. And his introduction is particularly helpful in our world where we are influenced, you may not know this, by 19th century German rationalism. German rationalism refused to accept anything supernatural. No miracles, no God, nothing apart from what you can see, touch. And that has led to 200 years of attacks on the Bible's reliability. You will have heard things that have said like, the Bible was written a long time after Jesus. Or the myths of Jesus were embellished as it was retold after Jesus died. Richard Dawkins famously said this, the only difference between the Da Vinci Code and the Gospels is that the Gospels are ancient fiction and the Da Vinci Code is modern fiction. All of this is coming from the German rationalism of the 19th century. Ask a historian, Christian atheist, they don't doubt that this is an excellent historical book. However, attacks like Dawkins have resulted in widespread doubt in the Bible, even though most people have never read it. This is the opposite of what Luke wants for his readers. His introduction clearly shows us we're not entering a fantasy novel. This is not an opinion piece on social media. This is not history revisioned. No, Luke has prepared a well-researched account of Jesus's life. The person and work of Jesus is a fact on the timeline of history. So today we're going to explore Luke's introduction, this one long sentence, and we're going to make four observations. So number one, we're going to acknowledge Luke's context. Have a look at verse one again. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. You see how Luke begins by associating himself with other ancient historians. In the first century, there were Jewish and Roman and Christ Christian historians who were recording the events and the impact of Jesus's life. But where did these historians get their information? There was no internet. There were no phones. No Travel was hard. Well, first century was an oral culture. There was information was handed down verbally from one person to the next. We see it there in verse 2. It was handed down. And it can be tempting here in the 21st century to sit here and go, that's unreliable. We've all played Chinese whispers or the modern versions, right? We know that Chinese whispers, things change. But actually, that's our cultural bias. In the first century, few people could write. But memorization was a common skill. The phrase, hold on, let me write it down before I forget it, 
was not a phrase that they used. The young and the old, from the moment they could, would be memorising the Old Testament. They'd be passing down family history and Israel's history with incredible accuracy. And we see it in just a few sentences' time when we read the teenager, Mary, and her stunning song where she interweaves accurate quotes of the Old Testament with her praise of God. But how could people who saw and heard Jesus' life remember everything he did and said? I can't remember what I have for breakfast on Friday, can you? Could you quote a 12-minute sermon verbatim like the Sermon on the Mount? Well, Peter Williams, the author of Can We Trust the Bible, he gives two reflections on this. The first is this, is that the disciples, the men who were with Jesus for three years, it was their job to learn. That's what it meant by the word disciple, learner, student. And so their job was to remember and pass it on. Secondly, as Jesus travelled from town to town, he repeated himself over and over again. And his stories are not hard, they are very memorable. And his actions are memorable. And so as they saw it over and over again, it was embedded in their well-trained memory. As we all consider the evidence of Jesus in the Bible, we need to be careful of chronological snobbery. That's where we sit in our comfortable chairs in the 21st century and we think we're better than those in the 1st century. Their culture was different to ours but it wasn't primitive. It was an oral culture and they shared stories and teaching with exceptional accuracy. Well, the second thing we want to observe is Luke's sources because the usefulness of this book completely depends on the sources because Luke was not an eyewitness. He's not like Ben who who goes and sees things. He is not an eyewitness, but he's also not a self-appointed expert just regurgitating Wikipedia. He's an investigative journalist with many sources. See in verse 3, I have carefully investigated everything from the very first. What we know about Luke is he follows the patterns of the ancient historians by interviewing the eyewitnesses who were there with Jesus. Richard Borkman says this great quote, The ancient historians, such as Thucydides, Polybius, Josephus and Tacitus, were convinced that true history could be written only while events were still within living memory. And they valued as their sources the oral reports of direct experience of the events by involved participants in them. There's a great new documentary on Disney about the assassination of JFK 60 years ago. This new documentary is told through the Secret Service agents who were with the Kennedy family. And these men are 90 years of age now. The time to interview the eyewitnesses is running out. 
But as you listen to these men who ran beside the cars, who were in the car when it happened, who were there in all the journey, their eyewitness testimony is remarkable. In the same way, Luke tracked down people who walked with Jesus. I reckon he talked to the shepherds. He talked to Mary and Martha. He talked to Nicodemus. He was taking notes in his little black book. He interviewed the 11 disciples who were sharing what they were seeing, what they had seen and heard. He interviewed Peter because Peter said, for we did not know, we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And the second quote, uh, second Bible reading we had today from John, what we have seen and heard, we declare to you. As he talked with people, nothing was off limits. Peter went, see it there in verse 3, back to the beginning, back to the very first. That's a technical phrase in the Greek, which was mean he, he was, he went back to the birth of Jesus and he went all the way through to the explosion of Christians throughout the world. He investigated everything, every detail of Jesus's life. Luke went to the places Jesus went. He read the written accounts. He talked to Jesus's enemies. He talked to Jesus's friends. He sifted information. He checked sources and then and only then he wrote a highly structured, clear and specific account of Jesus' life. A common attack in the world online is that the Gospels were written a long time after Jesus. The historical evidence in Luke's Gospel does not support this. Peter Williams again. It's the little details that give Luke validity. He names 26 tiny towns in Galilee. He refers to people's names in the right location and frequency. He understands the coinage, the distribution of employment, the fishing industry, the rabbinic traditions. He records historical, meteorological, archaeological, geographical data that he would only have known if he was investigating close to the time of Jesus. Another attack on the trustworthiness of Luke is that science deals with truth and certainty, faith and religion deal with myth and fiction. But the truth is, science and history rely on observable evidence. And Luke's gospel, it's not his self-truth. It's not a first century fiction. Luke is an authoritative, trustworthy account put together by an authoritative, trustworthy author. As you leave church this morning, either you think Dr. Luke is a liar or Dr. Luke has evidence worth considering. The third observation is Luke's purpose. Why did Luke spend so much time stopping his medical work to investigate Jesus for his friend Theophilus, the name means beloved of God, and all those who are beloved of God, like us? 
Well, his purpose was not to compile a historical account of Jesus, even though the material is historical. Nor was it to compose a biography, though the material is biographical. Interestingly, if you ever read biography, most of them focus on the early years and the active years of the person's life. And their end, it's like a footnote. Read Luke, and nearly a quarter of the book is spent in the last week of his life. That is a clue to Luke's purpose. I think the big clue to Luke's purpose is right there in verse 1. We miss it, actually. See it there? Luke wants people to understand that the life of Jesus is part of God's promised plan to save the world. See it there? Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Jesus is not just a great man. He's not just a profound teacher. He's not just a model of love. No, the Old Testament, the first 39 books in your Bible, they pointed forward to a day when God in his kindness and love would send a forever king who would save humans from sin and death. And so after investigating the evidence, travelling, interviewing all the sources, what's Luke want to say in his book? Jesus is that promised king. And we see Jesus say the same thing on the last page of Luke's gospel. See it there? Jesus told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, that's just a way of saying the Old Testament, must be, here is the word again, fulfilled. And then he opened the disciples' minds to understand the Old Testament. Luke's purpose is to show that Jesus' arrival, life, death, resurrection, ascension, they are the fulfilment of God's plan to save the world of sin and evil and suffering and death. And so as we read Luke, Luke's saying that part is fulfilled in Jesus and that part will be fulfilled in the future so we can have clear expectations. Okay, so Luke, it's not a history book. It's not a biography. It's a theological textbook. Well, that will appeal to about four of us, right? No, he's not that either. What's Luke? Luke is an evangelist and a pastor. He wants men and women who are not friends with Jesus to discover the good news of Jesus. Because the good news of Luke's gospel is that the lawgiver became the law keeper and died in the place of lawbreakers. That the lawgiver became the law keeper and died in the place of lawbreakers. That Jesus Christ, perfect and sinless in every way, bore the just punishment of God for you, so you could have forgiveness which you don't deserve. And so if you came to church this morning and you are still carrying all the sins of your life in your metaphorical backpack, 
all the wrong thoughts, all the regrets, all the actions of evil against God and people, then Luke says, I want to introduce you to Jesus who can take that away. And Luke is also a pastor. He is not interested in people taking leaps into the dark. He is not interested in Christians who believe what they feel is true. You see it in verse 4? Jesus wants Christians to know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. The promises of God have been fulfilled in history. You can know you are not on the wrong team, not because you feel better than others or because we do less bad than other religions. No, you can know you're on the right team because God has turned up in history. And we don't need to be embarrassed by the Bible. We don't need to be embarrassed by any of the claims of Jesus because they're not vague. They're not fantasy. They will always stand up in the public sphere. For Jesus is someone you can trust and build your life on. I don't know if you've ever watched the first Lord of the Rings film. It's far more entertaining than the book. Sorry to those who like the book. I mean the introductions. But the introduction of the movie, is, is, it is spellbounding. Galadriel says these words. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. As you hear those words with a black screen, you are propelled into a fantasy world of imaginary characters on an epic adventure. But as we finish this morning, do you notice how different Luke's introduction was? It's nothing like that. We're not propelled into a time of fantasy. We're propelled into the known history of Judea and Galilee with John Pilate, Jesus and Mary and Martha. Luke is not about entertaining. It is about helpfully pointing us to who Jesus is. Because only Jesus gives answers to the deep questions of life. Uh, Belinsky is a secular mathematician, like high-level scientist. And he wrote a book called The Devil's Delusion. And here's what he says. Science is not the ultimate touchstone for understanding our world. A human asking why their days are short and full of suffering is not disposed to turn to algebraic quantum theory for an answer. As people move to death, science has nothing to say on life, death, love and meaning. Luke says the historical Jesus is the author of life. He's the one who defeats death. He's the ultimate example of love. And he is the source of meaning in this life. So wherever you are with Jesus this morning, Luke invites you to read the evidence and make a personal decision on the content. Don't listen to YouTube. 
Don't listen to tweets. Don't even listen to Dawkins. Read, or even if you can't read, listen online to the evidence. Because the one he has investigated, he's the hope of the world. And if you don't have a Bible, just take one of the black ones. We'd love to give it to you for free. Barney Schwartz, he's a well-known journalist in Melbourne for 32 years. As a youth, Barney was committed to mocking Christians. Then he read the Bible. He became convinced beyond doubt that the biblical account was true. Let me read you what he said. This struck me as a story too beautiful to be invented. And not only a story, but a historical fact. And if historical fact, then the most important historical fact in human history. God himself took human form, entered the empirical realm, suffered as a human and died to ransom, redeem and restore frail humans. I know these claims may stretch uh, credulity, but don't stop at your own questions. Check out the evidence. Read the gospel. That's what we're going to do. Let's pray. Lord God, in a world of felt truth, of make up your own truth, we are so thankful that you came into history, were seen and heard and touched by men and women who made a record so that we can know that you came. Thank you, we do not need to make up what you are like, but may we, we can sit with Luke and hear your voice, see how you treat people, and see you die on that cross for our sins. You are the only one with answers to life, love, death, and meaning. We thank you that you helped us know you, Lord. Amen.